You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Well, hey guys, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here at Seabreeze today. Uh, I'm Lance. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be uh, speaking with you this morning. Well, I have a daughter uh, who's named Annie. A little picture of her up on the screen here. Uh, she's five years old. Uh, last week, I had to correct something that she did. Uh, we talked about what she had done, and then I explained what the right action should be next time. Now, as we were talking, she asked me this question. She said, Daddy, why am I a bad person? Now, that was a shock. Uh, I honestly wasn't quite sure what to say in response to her. I wanted to say to her, oh, no, kiddo, you're not a bad person. You know, she had done something wrong, and I was correcting her, but she's still just so innocent to me. Now, as I thought about Annie's question, I realized this is really a question that we all wrestle with. And this is a question that's common in the Bible. Paul, an early church starter and the author of much of the New Testament, he poses a similar struggle to my five-year-old daughter. Uh, he says this in Romans 7, 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And then a few verses later, in verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. To Paul saying, I don't get it. Why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Basically, why am I a bad person? Why do I make mistakes? Why do I choose to do the wrong thing? Now, the question that naturally follows this is, and what can I do about it? How can I make it right? We all have a sense that we need something greater than ourselves to help us out of the messes that we make. Now, over the last five weeks, we've been looking at various religions of the world. We looked at Eastern religions of Hinduism and Buddhism, and then we looked at Judaism and Islam. Now, these are all attempts to answer the questions, why am I a bad person and what can I do about it? Every religion tries to answer the question, what's wrong? Why are we bad people and what can be done about it? Now, we've learned over the course of this message series that there are fundamental differences between the religious claims of the world. They are so different that really no two of them can be right. Now, as a Christian church, we have obviously come to a conclusion about what we believe. We believe following Jesus is the correct path, the only way to have a relationship with God. So in this final message, I'm going to walk through what it means to choose Jesus. I want to be crystal clear about what's involved in making that choice. So if you're unsure about what religion you want to follow, or if you're just exploring Christianity, my hope is you really compare what I talk about today with the other religions that we've discussed in this message series. And if you have decided to follow Jesus, my hope is that you will gain a deeper understanding of what Jesus has done for you so that you can continue to grow in your relationship with him. Now, the starting place of the choice that we have began from a choice that God made. And this is the first point of our message today. God chose to give us freedom. God chose to give us freedom. God didn't want mindless followers who robotically loved him. He wanted to create beings who had the free will to choose whether to follow him or not, whether to love him or not. And while God loves every person in the world, he gave each one of us the choice to love him back. 
You know, a healthy relationship, it takes two people who freely choose to love each other. If a guy likes a girl, that's called a crush, not a relationship. You know, when I first started dating my now wife, that's what it was. I was definitely interested in her, uh, but she was being kind to me, going on a few dates with me. Now, over time, that grew into a loving relationship, but it took both of us choosing to love the other person. So for a healthy relationship to occur, you need two people to freely choose to love. God's choice to give us freedom really only had two possible results. Either we would choose to follow him or choose him or or not. We'd choose to follow him or we'd turn our backs on him. And unfortunately, God's choice to give us freedom resulted in us turning away from God. We see this in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, When God created Adam, he told him to be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the fish and birds and all the living creatures on the ground. And then God gave Adam this command in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this is the first major choice that Adam had to follow God or not. God told Adam, you are free to eat from any tree. Now, any tree means any of them. But God commanded Adam to not eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. So Adam was clear on this command, but God didn't force Adam to follow that command. He was free to eat from any tree. Freedom, it's, it's a real gift from God. It's what this nation was founded on, and it's why we are big advocates for personal freedom. When people are forced to do something, they push back against it. But when people are given the room to make decisions for themselves, they often thrive. They're forced to take responsibility for themselves. With freedom, it generally comes two extremes. Either on one, one extreme, people take responsibility, they do what's right and good, or people use that freedom to not take responsibility. They look for immediate gratification or ease in this life. The very next chapter in Genesis, we see which, which option Adam and Eve chose. They are tempted by Satan to eat the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. They had a choice to obey the God who created the universe, trusting what he said is right and good, or enjoy a piece of fruit. Now, we're not sure what kind of fruit it was. It could have been an orange or a pomegranate or something else. Commonly, it's thought of to be an apple, so we're going to assume it was an apple today. Now, it's almost comical that anyone would choose an apple over God, but that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Now, to be fair, this was no normal apple. God told Adam that it was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God also told Adam that he would die if he ate it. So it'll give you wisdom, but it'll cause your death. What did Adam and Eve choose? The wisdom death apple or God? Well, Genesis 3, 6, we see what they chose. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So Adam and Eve ate the apple. The fruit God had told them not to eat. They used their freedom, and they chose to disobey God. 
Why didn't they die immediately? God said that they would certainly die, so why didn't they? Well, the death that God was referring to was not an immediate physical death, though there were physical consequences. The death that God was referring to was a physical and eternal death, an eternal break with God who is the sustainer of life. It was like if we were underwater with a hose of oxygen. You see this, this diver up here with the, with the hose of oxygen to the surface, sustaining our life. And then we chose to cut that oxygen hose. Now, we could hold our breath. It's actually not an immediate death. But most would say they're dead. You know, we're heading towards death. We can hold our breath for a certain amount of time. So this choice that that Adam and Eve made, it changed the trajectory of their lives uh, to go towards eternal death, eternal separation from the source of life, God. And the choice that Adam and Eve made to disobey God's command, it was a choice that affected all of creation then and into the future. Adam and Eve, they weren't just the first people, they were the first parents. So they cut the oxygen cord and then they had babies. Their kids and generations following, they didn't magically have an oxygen cord attached to the surface when they were born. You know, our parents, they affect our lives. As an example of this, my wife and I, we chose to move to California before our daughter was born. Now, Annie, my daughter, she didn't make that choice, but that choice impacts her. It's similar with Adam and Eve's choice to disobey God. Their decisions affected all of their descendants. Now, while this is true, we can't put the full blame on Adam and Eve for our sin problem. Each one of us has made the same choice that Adam and Eve did. We've all chosen to disobey God. And this is our second point. We chose to disobey God. This is a choice that each one of us has made. Through Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, but each one of us sins. Now, if we were perfect, then maybe we could blame Adam and Eve on all the problems in this world, but no one is perfect. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. No one's perfect. In other words, by choosing to disobey God, we've all severed the lifeline to him. A sin has decaying effects on all things it comes in contact with. Now, while there are many effects of sin, the most foundational decaying effect that it has is on our relationships. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it describes these broken relationships that exist now as a result of our sins. Let's read this passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So all people are now born into four, primarily four broken relationships as a result of our sin. The first one is a broken relationship with God. It says that we followed the ways of the world and Satan rather than God. So our lives, they're headed in one of two directions. Either we follow God or we follow Satan. If we choose not to follow God, that's inadvertently a choice to follow Satan. 
Satan's the ruler of the world right now, so by choosing to say we don't want to follow God, that just means we're following the other ruler, Satan. This is the choice that Adam and Eve made. They chose to listen to Satan's suggestion. This was a following decision that they made, a decision that defined who was the priority in their life, God's influence or Satan's influence. And they chose Satan, and we have too. So that's the first broken relationship. The second one is actually a broken relationship with ourselves. So we follow our own fleshly desires. It says gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So now people are at war with themselves. The Bible, it often refers to people as slaves to sin. Without God, we're powerless to the decaying effects of sin in our own lives. We are powerless to overcome sin, and so we live simply by feeling, which is really not a good compass to go by. And this is what my daughter was wrestling with when she asked me that question. Why am I a bad person? Well, she can't overcome her sin problem by sheer willpower. She's powerless to do that. So there's this, this battle that's going on inside of her. Part of her wants to do good. Another part of her wants to do bad. You know, she wants to do good, but she can't do the good that she wants to do on her own. This is that internal battle that happens with each one of us. Now, if we're gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, then we are living our lives in self-centeredness. We're selfish. And that leads us to our third broken relationship, a broken relationship with others. This selfish approach puts us at war with other people. And we're focused on what we want. So when others get in our way, it's not good. It's a battle with other people to get what we want. Now, as an example of this, uh, one of the chores in my home is to clean the bathtubs. Uh, this is a chore that I had when I was a kid, and according to my wife, I am an amazing bathtub cleaner. Uh, now, do I want to do that chore? No, I really hate cleaning the bathtubs, but I'm good at it. Do I clean the tubs often enough? No, I definitely do not clean the tubs often enough. Now, over the years, this has been a source of frustration between my wife and I. It comes from my desire to not clean bathtubs and from my wife's desire to enjoy a clean bathtub. So those are two desires that are at odds with each other. And now that's just a recent kind of funny example of how our sin and selfishness puts us at odds with others, puts us at war with other people. Uh, the fourth broken relationship that was caused by sin is actually a broken relationship with time itself. It says, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is what I explained earlier about the kind of death we receive. It's not an, an immediate death, but the, the trajectory of our lives is going towards eternal death, separation from God as a result of our sin. This is a real eternal destination called hell. Our relationship with time itself is now hopeless. The trajectory is towards eternal death. You know, and we look at our past, and it, there's guilt and there's shame there. We all have things that we wish we had done differently. And as we look to the future, we often put our hope in things in this life that turn out not to last. You know, those hopes, they're, they're temporary. They eventually fail us. These are called false hopes. You know, we look to uh, a vacation or retirement or maybe a new home or a new job or graduation only to get there and we realize, man, that doesn't really fill the hole 
that we needed filled. In January and February this year, I was really busy, and I was excited for April. I even told some people, man, I can't wait to get to April. January and February are just so busy. Guess what happened when I got to April? It was busier than January and February was. So that's just the types of hopes we, we, or types of things we put our hope in, they just fail us in this life. So these are four broken relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with time. And they're what every person is born into as a result of sin. As Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So these are the consequences of our sin. So God made a choice to give us freedom. And we chose to disobey him, which brought about consequences that we couldn't fix. Thankfully, God made another choice. He did not leave this reality as an insurmountable obstacle. While people were powerless to restore broken relationships, God had a plan in the works. God chose to initiate a rescue mission. Romans 5, 6, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus Christ, he came to earth as a man, born in Bethlehem. He is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. He lived a sinless life, something that none of us could do. Only God could do that. He was wrongly accused and falsely tried in Jerusalem, and he died on a cross. His death was in replacement for the death that we deserved. He took on the penalty of our sin, death. But not just a physical death. He paid the price for our eternal death. Then he rose from the dead after three days. And after his resurrection, he appeared to his followers as proof of what he had done. Those believers and other Christ followers began to spread the good news of Jesus throughout the world. And God's rescue mission, it's continued for thousands of years, and it's reached us here in Huntington Beach. Actually, this fall, we're going to do a series of messages that describe how this rescue mission has been a blessing to the world. But the key question I want us to consider today is how this rescue mission impacts you. What decision does it cause you to wrestle with? God's rescue mission, it's initiated one person at a time. It comes down to a personal decision for each person. So here's a description of God's rescue mission for you. These are the very next verses in Ephesians 2. So verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. So we see in these verses that God is he's loving, he's merciful, He's powerful. He made us alive with Christ. He's able to save us. And he's gracious. So he's merciful. It says, God who is rich in mercy. So we all deserve death. And mercy is not getting what we do deserve. The reason God doesn't just wipe us out the moment that we sin is because he's merciful. He wants to give us time to understand who he is. So he doesn't give us what we deserve right away. God's also powerful. It says, God made us alive with Christ. God's the only one who can save us. No one else can. I can't save myself because I've sinned. I'm just not good enough. And all the other religious claims of the world, they, they claim that if we live a certain way, 
or we make certain choices that we can be saved or that we might possibly be able to be saved. They say that we can do enough works to save ourselves, and that's just not true. We are not powerful enough to do that. Only God is. And God's also gracious. It says, it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is getting more than you deserve, like a gift. We don't deserve to be saved. We've done nothing to merit that. Now, we often think of grace and mercy as the same thing. So I want to clarify and put some definitions up on the screen. Now, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. So in fact, we deserve the opposite of saving. Now, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You know, a wage is something that we earn. What we've earned is death, eternal separation from God. So it's God's mercy that says you're not going to get that. Now, a gift, on the other hand, that's something you don't earn. That's freely received. You know, we didn't pay for it. We didn't earn it. And Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's grace. God's gift to us is, is eternal life. Not just in general, but in Jesus. So God initiated a rescue mission that was undeserved on our part. That's grace. Now, why would God do this? It's not like we had anything that was of value to God. We actually turned our back on God. Well, it's because of his great love for us. God loves you. Even if you don't love him or want to follow him, he still loves you. Even those who are adamantly opposed to God, he still loves them. And this is the basis of God's rescue mission, his love for us. And we chose to reject God. We chose to prioritize our desires or follow the ways of the world or Satan. And yet God still calls to us to turn to him. That's how deep God's love is for us. So God's rescue mission is initiated out of his immense love for us. He is merciful, not giving us what we deserve, immediate death. He is the only one powerful enough to save us. And he is gracious, offering us life when all we have earned is death. Now, you may have been wondering how I answered my daughter with her question, why am I a bad person? Now, as I said earlier, I wasn't quite sure how to respond to her. I wanted to say, no, kiddo, you're not a bad person. But as I thought about Annie's question, I also didn't want to tell her that she was a perfect little girl. She had just done something wrong that I was correcting. That, that would have been a lie. So here's, here's what I told her. I said, Annie, the truth is you are a bad person, but daddy is also a bad person. Mommy is too. You make mistakes. I make mistakes. So when you think I'm such a bad person, the reality is that's true. We can't do the good that we want to do on our own. But you know the good part? That's why Jesus came. He died for our mistakes. He died for our mess-ups. He died for our disobedience. And he forgives you and he loves you. You know, there are real consequences when we disobey. But the good news is that those mess-ups don't define us. Jesus is what defines us. He is who we can put our hope in, not ourselves or what we can do. Now, I told her that, and then later that night, 
I had to clear something up with Annie. I had to ask her forgiveness for something I had done uh, separate from this. And I got to reiterate that point. I said, see, daddy messes up. I am not perfect. But Jesus is, and we can move forward in freedom because of that. So now this leads us to our final point for today. Your choice. Your choice to believe in Jesus. This is the choice that's before each one of us. And we are free to choose to believe it or not. To grab his hand, accept the gift that he offers. We've gone through a few verses about the way in which God saves us. Ephesians 2.5 said we were made alive with Christ. Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So with Christ, in Christ, believes in him, what does this mean? How do I actually do that? What does believe in him mean? Well, let's start with the word believe. To believe, it's commonly thought of as a dream or a wish. You know, if we just believe hard enough, things might come true. Just believe in yourself, or if you dream it, you can do it. So we read John 3.16, and we think that we just need to muster up some sort of willpower and think happy thoughts, and then voila, we're saved. That's not what belief is. True belief has effects on your life. If you believe something to be true, that should show up in reality, in your real life. You know, if you're dating someone, and you say you believe in marriage and that you think you should get married, that's great. But it's not enough just to say that you believe that and then never do it. I would question your belief. Did you really believe that if you never do anything about that? So to show that you actually believe something to be true, then you make, you make a commitment, you get married, and then you live out your promises to care for each other, and then you do all the things that love requires. Your belief, it shows up in real life. It's not a dream. It's reality. At the same time, true belief, it's not just accepting data points to be true or knowing facts. It's much deeper than that. To believe means to trust something to be reality. If you trust something to be reality, then you adjust your behavior based on that belief. It's an understanding that starts on the inside and flows into external change, an increasingly transformed life from the inside out. So to believe in Jesus, that means that you put your trust in him. You put your faith in him. You rely on him. You entrust yourself to him. You follow him. This belief in the reality of Jesus is life-altering because it reorganizes your natural priorities. It forces you to think through, what are the implications of this on my life? What does Jesus want changed in me so that my behavior actually changes? John 3, 16 and 17 it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God loved the world. God gave his son so that everyone would believe that those who believe would have eternal life. A first step to choosing to follow Jesus is a prayer. Just like any other relationship, a conversation is often what starts it. That's what prayer is. It's having a conversation with God. The following Jesus starts with you talking to him. So what do you say? 
Well, a good way to think about that decision that you're making and thus what you're saying to God is with an acrostic, uh, the ABC acrostic. Admit, believe, and commit. These are the things that, that you're making a decision on and thus you can talk to God about. So you admit that you need him, that you've not been living for him, and that you can't save yourself. And then you believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that he died for your sins and the sins of the world, and you accept that gift. Then you commit to follow him. You commit to turn from the way of life that you've been living and live for him, live for his priorities and what he desires. Now, if you pray that prayer, you believe it to be true, then God takes up residence in your life, and he begins to transform you. I can tell you from personal experience that he works in miraculous ways in your life. Now, for me, before making the decision to follow Jesus, I dealt with a lot of fear, and I didn't know how to get a hold of it. I was scared of a lot of things. Uh, one night, I was watching the news, and they were reporting a fatal car crash on the news. And that sparked a question for me. What happens to people when they die? I realized that actually was a big source of my fear. I was afraid to die. I didn't know what would happen to me. It was just a big unknown. So God used that news report to help me realize my need for Jesus to save me from eternal death to eternal life. Now, I still have fear, uh, but as I look back on my life, I see how God has changed me and helped my life have a predominant theme of courage rather than fear. And that's nothing I did on my own. That's God transforming me and changing me. Now, making the decision to follow Jesus, that does not mean that you suddenly become perfect. You don't turn into some angelic being all of a sudden. You actually keep on sinning, and you have to clear things up. It also doesn't mean that you live a life of bliss and ease. The opposite of that is true. There actually will be a lot of difficulty in this life. But it does mean that you're choosing to follow the one true God who made you and who loves you and in whom you can find meaning and purpose. So my question for you is, have you ever prayed that prayer before? Admit, believe, commit. Have you ever admitted your sin to God? Say, God, I, I'm not living life the way you want me to live it. Believe, I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins. He took on the penalty of my sins. And then commit, Lord, I commit to follow you as the, the Lord, as the leader of my life. As we wrap up this series, I want to give time for you to consider this choice and the opportunity to pray that prayer that initiates a new life with Christ. So I'm going to ask Andrew and Sarah to come back on stage and close our time together uh, with two songs. I want this to be a time of reflection where you can really evaluate this decision, really reflect on um, what decision you want to make. Now, during that time, uh, we're going to have a prayer that's up on the screen. It's on the center screen right now. It'll be on the side screens during the songs. Now, I encourage you to uh, make this prayer your own. This is to help guide you. If you've never prayed this type of prayer before, these are not magic words that are on the screen. Uh, these are articulating a decision that you make. So make this your own. If you decide to pray that prayer today or if you have questions about it, you're not, you're not ready to make that decision, but you have questions, I'd love to meet you. I'm going to be up here after the service, so come on up. Bevan will be up here as well. We'd love to meet you, answer any questions, and pray with you.
So now let me begin our time in reflection and prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that uh, Lord, we get to gather as your church and um, specifically today that we get to consider the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that, um, that know that they're not in a relationship with you, but they want to be. Lord, I ask that they will pray to you, admit their sin, declare their belief in you, and commit to turn from the way that they've been living and follow you. Lord, I ask that you would come into their lives, that you would forgive them and begin to transform them. And Lord, I pray for those that already are in a relationship with you, that they would be praying for those people uh, throughout this time. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, that you did not leave us out to dry. You initiated the rescue mission. You sent your son who died and paid the penalty of our sin. I thank you so much for that, that we get to have a relationship with the one true God, the God who created all things. I thank you so much for that. Lord, I ask in this time of reflection that you would clarify things, help um, Help us all make, make decisions clearly. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.